helping to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. This is the Constitution Study on the America Out Loud Network with your host, Paul Engel. FDR famously said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. In America today, it seems we are so afraid of fear that we'll throw our rights right out the window. First, it was the climate hoax. A bunch of usually government-funded scientists said we were all going to die and we were willing to give up control of our energy independence in homage to the climate gods. Next, we knelt to the group of children scolding us for not destroying our lives fast enough. And no matter how much scientific data shows the climate is not changing as fast or as badly as we've been led to believe, it seems the American people are afraid to stand up against the tyranny. Then look at what happened when COVID-19 hit. All it took were some government bureaucrats to say so, and we locked down, masked up, and took a bunch of shots. Those who did not bend the knee to those who thought they were government, our government overlords, well, they were punished. It seems we are more afraid of fear than of losing our rights. Well, hello there, everyday Americans. Paul Engel here with the Constitution Study, where we read, instead of the Constitution, we teach the rising generation be free. I'm glad you're here as we work to restore the Constitution to its rightful owners, we the people of the United States of America. And I've noticed, I, I've said it before, there's a, a, a book written by Michael Crichton called State of Fear. And I found it interesting for a couple of reasons. One, it's the first time I saw somebody write a fiction that used actual real-world data and had the footnotes to prove it. But the premise of the book was that by using fear, you can manipulate people. And that certainly is true. We've seen it uh, uh, not just in recent days, but we've seen it for uh, pretty much most of my life. Now, one of the things I noticed when I moved from the Northeast to, to Middle Tennessee is how people react differently to fear. See, up in the Northeast, you get a, a, a warning that, you know, hey, we're going to get six inches, a foot, two feet of snow. And you know, people say, okay, we've prepared for it and we're not scared of it. We, we may make sure our car tanks are filled up and make sure we have the food we need. But it, it was, you know, there was never the, the panic. It was like, okay, get ready. We're going to have to deal with it. Down where I live in Middle Tennessee, they even talk about snow or the possibility of a winter storm. And the bread, milk, and eggs disappear from the grocery stores like you, like a swarm of locusts came through. Driven by their fear, they got they went after the again, eggs, bread, milk. And then, of course, speaking of of grocery stores, everybody remember what happened when when COVID first started? Anyone know, remember the, the grocery stores that were emptied of paper towels and toilet paper? Yet not of food, paper products, which tells you a lot about the American mind. What we value the most maybe is not so much the, uh, uh, <laughs> the food on our table, but uh, the ability to, to clean ourselves after the natural process continues. And again, these are just examples. There are more. I read an interesting article by Dennis Prager. Um, I, I've listened to a lot of Dennis Prager stuff. I love his uh, little, you know, uh, short videos, PragerU videos. But he was writing it, and, and let's, let me quote this a little bit for you. He says, I'm writing this column on a beautiful sunny day in Southern California. It is a Monday in mid-August, so it's not a national holiday. Yet in Los Angeles County, where I live, 
all schools and all government offices are closed. Why? Because for the last week, the National Weather Service, state and local authorities, and national and local media have been ceaselessly warning that a tropical storm would hit Southern California on Sunday night and Monday with a life-threatening intensity not seen since the last tropical storm hit California in 1939, almost 84 years ago. And I'm, I, was, I read that and I'm like, boy, that does sound familiar. I mean, we, we come up with names like Stormageddon and and the the polar vortex and come up for names for for weather and often the, it drives us to do frequently irrational things but it got me thinking how many examples of of weather that that have been hyped i mean i remember being back when i lived up in the northeast right we'd get warnings of severe storms yeah, the storms are coming and most of us ignored it because we knew it was mostly a hype when the weather people said there was a severe storm you looked out the window yeah no nah, not so much and i i again we've seen it in california i saw it in the northeast i've seen it here in tennessee i've seen it pretty much everywhere and that's when the, the, the FDR line came to me. If the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, it seems we're awful afraid of fear, and it's driving our lives today. And it seems, you know, what's the old saying? No matter how idiot-proof you make it, they'll always make a better idiot. Um, it seems like no, no matter how far we go, there, there's always more. There's always more that people will be scared into doing. Uh, take a Montana district court judge. Uh, she found in favor of 16 young plaintiffs in a lawsuit they filed against the state of Montana. What was the basis of their suit? Well, they, that, they claimed that the state of Montana was violating their rights to a clean environment. Yeah, they, that, that's, that's, I'm, not, I'm not joking. This is not the Onion. This is not the Babylon Bee. The, these 16 young adults, I guess you call them young adults, I guess there were there are people between I think like eleven and, and eighteen or twenty. I'm sorry, uh, five to twenty-two. Sorry, find the right link. They sued the state of Montana because, under the Montana Constitution, they have a right to uh, a clean and healthy environment. Now, first of all, let's understand the the irrationality of the right to a clean and healthy environment. The only way to make sure you have a clean and healthy environment that you can protect that right, is to basically um, wrap yourself up in bubble wrap, stick, your, stick yourself in a hermetically sealed climate control bubble, and uh, close your eyes to the world around you. But Montana put this in their constitution. I'd be interested to see if this was a, a uh, citizen-led agenda, but that's, that's something else I've been dealing with lately. So here's the court saying, listen, um, the state of Montana has a, uh, a, a fossil fuels policy. They have an energy policy. Why is, that an, why is that important? Montana gets most of its revenue. Most of its economy is based on fossil fuels. But you see, now you've got 16 young people saying, oh, but we can't have those things because, uh, well, because it, it deprives us of our right to a clean and healthy environment. Now, what's interesting is, look at some of the examples. Uh, uh, one of these uh, young people said uh, uh, that he gets frustrated when he is required to stay indoors during the summer because of wildfire smoke. 
what does that have to do with fossil fuel? Wildfires are a part of nature. I'd like to remind this this young man, Mika, I believe is his name. Uh, yeah, wildfires are a part of nature. Um, the wildfire smoke isn't because of the state's energy policy. Now, Claire expressed fear and loss from glaciers melting and anxiety over whether it is sa- it is a safe world in which to have children. Well, yeah, you know what? Some glaci- some glaciers are melting, others are freezing, some are shrinking, some are getting larger. But there's never been a quote unquote safe world in which to have children. I know we all like to think that, you know, we'll someday find a perfect world where nothing is wrong and our children will be safe. The world is not safe. Go outside and there's a chance you could, you could die from everything from encountering a bug to getting hit by a truck. There is no such thing. But you see, our children have been taught to fear everything and to have their lives driven by fear. Uh, one of the one of the uh, complaints said, "Climate anxiety is like an elephant sitting on her chest that makes it hard for her to breathe." Well, that's not the problem of Montana and their energy policy. That's the pol- that's the problem of the adults around you placing on you an irrational fear of a danger that, if it exists, is well into our future. I think since what the nineteen fifties or thirties. The uh, the global temperature has gone up one, maybe two degrees centigrade. You're talking 1.6 to 3.2 degrees over decades. Yet this young lady has been, or this person, I'm sorry, didn't uh, is has been scared witless over the possibility that climate is going to destroy her. I want to let her know, you know what? I've been told that we were all going to die from climate change since the 1970s. You said this 1980, 1990, 2000, 2010, 2020. We haven't died yet. But you see, our fear of fear is driving us to this insanity. And now we have courts saying, you know what? Because, uh, you know, because you're afraid. Uh, you have an irrational fear of the state of the climate. Well, we're gonna we're gonna find in in your favor in this case. Yeah, that's gone from fear to and it that's gone from an irrational fear to an idiotic fear. Why? Well, because we have all these scientists. First, of all, we have a consensus of scientists. Consensus of scientists doesn't mean squat. Consensuses are frequently wrong. There was a consensus of scientists that said the sun revolved around the earth. There was a consensus of scientists that said the earth was flat. There was a consensus of scientists that said man could not travel faster than the speed of sound. Consensus means nothing. It's interesting. I was reading an article. uh, Gentleman's name is Vic Hughes. Uh, Apparently, he did some models in grad school looking at um, trying to predict long-term temperatures. He said, you know what? You can't. He said, because, and what his description is is interesting. He said, I quickly realized that the goal of the project to forecast accurately the temperatures long term was impossible because small errors in data inputs could result in huge forecast errors. Equally important was the errors compound so quickly that it caused the error ranges to explode. The results were junk. Now, what is he talking about? 
And I, I try to figure out a good way to explain what he's talking about. Um, and the best I can come up with is imagine navigation. Now, I learned navigation in an aircraft, um, but maybe you did it on the water. Uh, so let's imagine that uh, uh, you are traveling on well, the ocean. Uh, you leave New York City. You know what the course is to get to London, England. Right? So you set that course and you go. But what you don't realize is that your compass is off. Now, it's only off a couple of degrees. It's just a little bit. But what happens is over time, that drift causes you to miss England. And maybe you land in Spain. Maybe you land in Scotland. Uh, maybe you don't even make it that far. The problem he's talking about is even worse. See, imagine is if, you know, the, the, the example of a compass is a constant error. The error is exactly the same. It was two degrees yesterday. It'll be two degrees tomorrow. That error is constant. What he's talking about in temperature ranges is a compounding error. So let's say that instead of a compass, you're using a, a na some navigation software, that you know, some GPS-based software, and instead of being two degrees off, it adds a two-degree error every day. So the first day, you're heading two degrees off your course. The second day, you're heading four, and then eight, and then 16. All right, so we double it every day. Guess what happens? Pretty soon, you're not heading towards England. You're heading towards South America. And that's the problem we have. We've gotten all this fear based on junk science. Science, and I say junk science, the, the International Panel on Climate Change claims to be a scientific body, but it is not. It ignores the error problem. It ignores the quality of the data. And it ignores the fact that the only model that I know of that has been anywhere near correct is the one model they ignore. So if you're going to ignore the one model that has gotten close to accurately predicting what the weather would be and tested over time, well, then you're basically ignoring facts and data and you're just perpetuating fear because fear motivates. Fear moves people and fear can cause a lot of damage. In reaction to fear, you know, the, the, what's the old saying? Uh, they say you have fight or flight. There's actually... Uh, 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 there's actually three. There's fight, flight, and freeze. And that's our human reaction to fear. It means in, in, in a fearful situation, some of us will, will, our first reaction is to start hitting things. Some of us will run away, and some of us will just lock up in fear. And that is what we saw in large part in the, uh, uh, the COVID-19 disaster emergency. Uh, not disaster. The, 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 the fake emergency, the fake pandemic. It was a disease across the world, but it wasn't nearly as dangerous as we were led to believe. But because of the fear they instilled, because they told us we were all going to die, because they told us if we don't do these draconian, ridiculous, unscientific, nonsensical things, then everybody was going to die. You're going to kill grandma. Uh, you're going to kill your neighbor. We did a lot of stupid things. Now, the reason I bring this up is I do have to take a break. But the other side of the break, I have an interview with a gentleman dealing with something, some of the residual cases from some of the nonsense we put up with and we let happen back under the COVID-19 scamdemic. But as I said, I, I have to take a break. Now, speaking of COVID, uh, I don't know. I did not take the jab. I refused to take the jab. Um, I don't know if you did, 
Maybe you had COVID. Maybe you're suffering from long COVID. Maybe you just took the jab and you're really concerned. Well, the wellness company has a, a product called Spike Support. Whether you're vaccinated or not, if you believe you've got spike proteins, these things can do damage long-term. And spike support can be taken to protect against the effects of the vaccine, shedding, and even COVID itself. Backed by documented research and vetted by the chief medical board of the wellness company, spike support can help you if you're suffering from, from COVID or, the, um, or the, the vaccine consequences. Now, since you listen to America Out Loud, you can get 25% off of the products from the Wellness Center or off of your first month of membership if you use the code OUTLOUD. You can find out more. Go to AmericaOutloud.shop for all the details. So basically, go to the wellness, com uh, the wellness company, uh, check out their products, maybe look at their membership, but use the code OUTLOUD. It lets them know that you listen to America Out Loud. And guess what? You can get discounts for using the code. While you're at it, maybe you'll head over to my website, constitutionstudy.com, find out more about what we're doing there. Sign up for a mailing list, ask a question, maybe buy a book or donate to the cause. All of this so we can help bring this program and the rest of the work that we do with the Constitution Study to a, co a country that I believe seriously, seriously needs it. So please join us as we try to fight the fear by bringing facts and data and ration and logic. Head to constitutionstudy.com and join us as we work to restore the Constitution to the people of the United States. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system to keep our bodies free from harmful bacteria, viruses, and toxins become less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's chief medical board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like Freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be, with a company that shares your values. Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Well, the out loud truth was the rallying call that started it all. AmericaOutloud.news was an idea, a movement, a place where folks would feel comfortable speaking the truth without being censored or canceled. 
The First Amendment is alive and well. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. You have rejoined the Constitution Study. Today, we're talking about being ruled by fear. And of course, one of the greatest elements of fear that we had through this whole COVID craziness were these mandates, the, the general idea that the government will tell you what to do and you'll do what you're told or else. Well, they're still here and we're still dealing with them. And I have with me today, Daniel Schmidt. He is a senior litigation counsel with Liberty Council. And uh, he's going to tell us a little bit about a case we've been looking at coming out of Maine. Daniel, thank you for giving us some time here at the Constitution Study. It's a pleasure to be with you. Can, uh, can you just give my audience a, a really brief background on, on you and your history, and then we'll talk about this case? Sure. I've been with Liberty Council for 13 years now, um, focusing primarily on First Amendment religious liberties, free speech, uh, as well as some 14th Amendment stuff and other federal laws. But we're primarily concerned with religious liberties, the right to free speech, the family, and of course, a pro-life standpoint. I've been doing that for 13 years now. And then for the last three years, as you mentioned, in the uh, period of fear or COVID craziness, if you will, uh, we've dealt a lot with government tyrannical orders and government tyranny in general, forcing people to do things against their religious beliefs. And as you mentioned on the theme of your program, forcing people to live their lives in fear. Uh, the Bible says we live not with a spirit of fear. So uh, I, I think it's time to turn that ship around, uh, well past time, if you will. Well, I'd agree with you with that. So we, again, this, you particularly came to my attention with uh, the Maine's uh, well, the vaccine mandates are, are still around in Maine. Um, tell us a little bit about this case and uh, the background of, of what you're working on here. Sure. In, in 2021, uh, during the height of COVID, if you will, uh, the governor of Maine imposed a vaccine mandate for healthcare workers, stating that as a precondition for continued employment in the healthcare industry, you had to accept or receive a COVID vaccine. We represented seven uh, healthcare workers who had sincere religious objections to the vaccines, uh, refused to bow to the mandate, and they were all fired. They submitted requests for accommodation to their employers. Their employers all denied them because of the governor's mandate. And we brought suit in a federal court in the District of Maine. It has bounced around. It's been to the First Circuit Court of Appeals three times, the Supreme Court three times, and now we are back at the Supreme Court on the Title VII issue, which is that employers, as a matter of federal law, are required to provide reasonable accommodations for their employers' religious beliefs. Because of the governor's mandate in Maine, five of the largest hospitals in Maine refused to provide religious accommodations, and now we are taking that case to the Supreme Court and asking the Supreme Court to step in and say that as a matter of constitutional law, the state doesn't get to trump Title VII. It doesn't matter 
if there's a pandemic, it doesn't matter if there's an emergency, it never matters. The state doesn't get to trump federal law and Title VII requires an accommodation. They refuse to provide it. They have therefore violated federal law. Now, you mentioned three other times you've been to the Supreme Court. Were, were they similar topics or were they different aspects of the law that were, were brought before the, the court before? It was the same case. Um, and what we had saw in the early stages were, was a preliminary injunction, which is to prevent the hospitals from firing the employees. We brought that based on First Amendment grounds and also the Title VII grounds. Uh, we went there to try to prevent them from being fired. That the Supreme Court did not grant the emergency relief, neither did the First Circuit. Um, and brought a cert petition subsequently on the First Amendment claim, asking the Supreme Court to step in again. They did not. And so because we didn't receive the emergency relief in those cases, we went back to the district court to litigate it. The case had been dismissed. It went back to the First Circuit. And the case kind of split into two prongs. There's the constitutional claims against the state, and then the Title VII claims against the employers. And the constitutional claims are now back in the district court. The Title VII claims are at the Supreme Court where we're asking them to step in and say, no matter what the situation, Title VII requires an accommodation of religious beliefs. The employers refuse to provide it on the basis of state law. And that's not how the constitution works. It works the other way around. If there's a contrary state law, it has to succumb to federal law, in this instance, Title VII. And because they didn't do that, they have violated the law and they should be subject to liability for terminating these employees just for exercising their religious beliefs. Well, that is as, as long as the federal law was made pursuant to the Constitution. That's, you know, that's the supremacy. Correct, which I, and <laughs> yes, of course. I mean, there's the age old adage that any law has to, to arrive or arise from the Constitution, which means it has to be in their lawful exercise of power. We could get into a long discussion about uh, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which is what Title VII is a part of. Uh, that's a conversation for a different day. I, Title VII has been held valid. I think the fact that it's um, that it requires recognition of religious beliefs is not in question. And so the fact that a state says that we don't recognize religious accommodations for COVID vaccines violates the First Amendment. It violates Title VII, and therefore they're subject to liability. See, here, the, well, the couple things. The reason I brought it up uh, was was not to challenge what you were saying. It, it's to make sure my audience understands that you know, just because Congress passes something and the president signs it, doesn't mean voila, it, it, it's there. It still has to pass constitutional muster. And, and of course, I'm, I'm also thinking there are other issues because the very law under which these alleged vaccines, they don't, they don't meet the legal definition of a vaccine, uh, but the, the, the law under which these were released requires that they, because it was an emergency use, it's not fully licensed by the FDA, um, even situations where they are uh, vaccinations are required, you can't require someone to be a medical guinea pig. Was that ever part of this investigation or discussion? It was. We brought that claim early on. And the because you're correct, federal law says if it's an emergency use authorization product, which was true at the beginning, I, 
I would argue it's still true, but there's some nuance there that's a conversation for a different day. But at the beginning, they were. They were strictly EUA products. And federal law says you cannot force someone against their consent. And this is regardless of religious belief. This is anybody who just says, I don't want to take it, period, regardless of what their justification is. Federal law says they're entitled to that. They're entitled to informed consent. You have to tell them what it is. You have to tell them that it's an EUA product and that we don't know what the consequences of it are. And oh, by the way, the consequences turned out to be catastrophic for many people. Um, But federal law says you don't have to take it. So yes, that was part of the early challenge because they did a little bit of legislative ledger domain, if you will, and sleight of hand. Um, They said, well, yeah, it's fully approved now. It's unlikely we're ever going to make the actual fully approved one because we have so many vials of the EUA that that's what's still around. But that's that's a larger conversation. But you're correct. Regardless of religious belief or none, because it was an EUA product at the beginning, they couldn't be compelled to take it and add insult to injury when a person with religious beliefs says, I can't take that because my convictions tell me it's a sin then they have enhanced protection in addition to the EUA statute. They have First Amendment protection and Title VII protection. None of that was recognized. All out of a spirit of fear, all out of a spirit of panic, and if you want to get into it, all out of a spirit of control from the government seeking to impose their will on people and force them to comply. And our plaintiffs didn't. They stood firm on their convictions and we're here to represent them and hope the Supreme Court will step in to say, yes, you were correct. Uh, what the employers did to you was unlawful. Yeah, I, I would I would hope so as well. So basically right now there, there are two actions going, one against the state, which is currently before the Supreme Court or is going to be heard by the Supreme Court? No, this, the claims against the state, the First Amendment claims and the 14th Amendment claims, the First Circuit said those are valid claims. So it went back to the district court. Okay, that's the one. So that the constitutional the claims court. are now going back for trial. The First Circuit said, no, the Title VII claim doesn't state a claim because the state made them do it. So they had a defense. We took that to the Supreme Court to say, no, the supremacy clause requires a different result. And we would like you to step in and and state that. Yeah, I, I, okay, I, I got them, I got them a little backwards, but so we're still in the milieu of this case, and there's going to be more going on, and I, I hope you'll come back and give us updates because to me this is an interesting case because it really is a question about the limits of government power, both at the state and the federal level. You know, if if the if a state can simply say you must, as a matter of course, you must do this, um, then we're not a republic anymore. We we are a, a fiefdom of dictatorships, and that's exactly the opposite of what we of what we want. Um, what other piece of it? What other things would you like my audience think they think they really should know about this case, and maybe how they can follow along and even support the work that you're doing. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think you're correct. The republic that we were designed to be gets thrown out the window when the administrative state or when a government official declares for themselves control on the basis of an emergency. I mean, there's a long history of cases that say the Constitution only means as much if we apply it when it pinches. 
meaning that when it hurts a little bit to apply it because of what's going on, as when it, we apply it when it's easy. It, it doesn't mean anything if we just throw it out when it's hard to apply. That, that's very important. Secondly, I think these cases are important, particularly this one, because this issue is not going away. You're already hearing rumblings about, well, there's a new variant on the rise, and is there going to be new lockdown measures and new masking measures? It, we'll see if that comes about. But if it does, then we're going to be right back where we started, and we need the courts to step in and say, enough is enough. We have we have thrown out the law for long enough. It's time to return to sanity. And uh, based on the theme of your program, it's time to stop living in fear. We don't we don't govern by fear. We don't rule by fear. And Americans are not required to live by fear. And it's time for the courts to step in and say that. And if people would like to follow along with the case, they can go to lc.org. That's our website. We have updates there daily on the cases we're working on, including this one. And there's ways to support us there. We represent all of our clients for free. Um, we don't charge them a copper penny. Uh, we stand in the gap for them because they're standing up for their convictions. And we believe that they ought to have the backing of law behind that. So if you'd like to follow along, lc.org. Yeah, and it, it's, I think it's really important because, you know, the the end of our national anthem asks if the flag still waves over the land of the free and the home of the brave. We are only free as long as we are brave. And when people stand up and are brave enough to stand up against the fear and uh, others like Liberty Council, like, like you, Daniel, and, and your compatriots, when you come up and you support them, that's the braver we need. And I think the American people need to be brave enough to say, okay, how do we help support people like that? Because like you said, you're not charging these people. These, you know, they've, they've already risked their careers uh, and, and the financial and emotional uh, pain that comes with this. Now they're getting some support in the legal realm. And these cases, they cost a lot of money. And we can't forget that. You know, it's it's one thing to give someone a pat on the back and say, you know, go forth and, and do your job. It's another one to stand up and say, here, I want to help. And maybe all I can offer is, is two small coins, but I'll give you the two small coins because every little bit helps. Um, Daniel, thank you for coming out here today. Give, you, give us a little bit of time. I, you are welcome back with this case or any other case you think uh, my audience would be interested in. Uh, simply reach out to me. I'll be more than happy to schedule some time for you or anyone from Liberty Council to uh, to come to update us on your cases. Thank you very much. I appreciate being here. Uh, any quick final words before we head off to commercial? I think what you summed up is, is apt, the end of the national anthem, and it's also uh, appropriate, I think, because you're returning to the Constitution program suggests looking back to what the founders envisioned. And I think what they said uh, is apt in today's world, especially on your program about fear, is they had none. They said, we we will devote our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor to defend the republic we're creating. I think we need that spirit even more today uh, than they had it then. And we honor them and honor their memory and honor their sacrifice by being as brave as they were. Absolutely. No, we are, we are approaching... Um... Constitution Day, right? It's September seventeenth. Uh, so you know, maybe as as we look to that day and maybe try to remember the the men and women who stood up to to garner our independence, to fight for our independence, that wrote this document that has 
designed to protect our rights and independence. Maybe it's time for us to put on our own little bravery and pledge our own sacred honor to, to support these. Daniel, thank you so much for your time. I wish you all the blessings in this case, and I look forward to hearing updates from you uh, as soon as you have them. Thank you, and thank you for having me. So I hope you enjoyed that. Please head to lc.org. You can follow this case. You can support Liberty Council. Uh, you can just keep an eye on what's going on. These are the type of cases that we need to be concerned about. And again, Liberty Council, they don't charge their clients. So they're dependent on people like us to keep them afloat. And of course, if you can get the whatever updates you get so you can hear about what's actually going on in the world. Remember, getting different points of view, the, the ability to find out what's going on is extremely important to living free, which is one of the reasons why I go to AmericaOutloud.news every day. You can do the same thing. Go there for your, you can get news and information. You can get stories and articles and podcasts and videos and all sorts of information that you can find useful and you can find interesting. But as always, please share that information. We share by, you know, I'm sharing with you what's going on in Maine. You can help by sharing these stories with your friends, with your family and on social media. See, it's by sharing information, by exposing people to ideas they haven't heard or to thoughts they, they aren't, news they're unaware of, is how we all go about securing the blessings of liberty. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. And unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus and strengthen recall. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order, risk-free. Love it or your money back, guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD. Out loud. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix RX. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Welcome back, Everyday Americans, to rejoin the Constitution study. We return the Constitution to its rightful owners, we the people. Glad you could join me today as we're talking about being ruled by fear. And, you know, we, we started off talking about um, fear and how it's been used. We had a segment talking to uh, Daniel Schmidt of Liberty Council uh, about the case they're, they're currently dealing with uh, involving Maine and vaccine mandates. And again, the fear of the of the disease driving people to, to jump onto vaccines that were not tested and violating the law. And then the fear of the people that are afraid to say no to a government actor and all that. We see this kind of recurring theme. 
Now, there's more examples of this. You Hopefully you remember uh, back in, uh, what was it, 2021, I think, um, the Calvary Chapel Church in San Jose was, um, they were being harassed and they were being fined by uh, the city of Santa Clara, Santa Clara County, actually, because they, quote unquote, violated the, the lockdown orders and the mass mandates that, again, were never legal. They, they were, we keep saying, well, you know, the courts haven't, they were never legal, right? The lockdowns are a deprivation of property without due process of law, a violation of the, of the uh, 5th and 14th Amendments of the Constitution that makes them void. Mass mandates, a violation, a deprivation of liberty and, uh, and property without due process of law a violation of the 5th and 14th Amendment. So they were never legal. And these churches, they, they stood up and said no, and uh, they were assessed fines of, uh, what, $1.2 million for actually exercising their rights. And um, the pastor, Mike McClure, is suing. He's suing Santa Clara County, uh, claiming an invasive and warrantless geofencing operation that they were spying on the worshipers. See, according to the, the, the complaint, uh, the county of Santa Clara used mapping software to track the worshipers to see when they were on church premises. I just want you to think about this. We've heard a lot about geofencing, or at least I've heard a lot about it. Uh, I hope you have and well. And the idea that um, uh, the, the gov- a government actor simply goes to a phone provider and uh, uh, or, or maybe you know Google or Apple and says, uh, we want everybody whose phone was in this bounded location during this time. And they almost never have a warrant. What they have is that they'll issue a subpoena, but this is a, 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 if they do have a warrant, it's almost always an invalid warrant because it is, uh, you're searching for people without a probable cause. So here you have a, a church that, uh, again, religious freedom protected by the, in this case, would be the Constitution of California, because Congress didn't have anything to do with this. And it was illegally fined for simply doing what they are legally allowed, what the Constitution of the United States protects them to do, and the Constitution of California is supposed to protect them to do. And now we find out they're being spied upon and they're suing. But this is the type of, again, fear and intimidation. Um, and, and it's, Sadly, it's the state of America nowadays is that this has so much become a part of our lives. And speaking about becoming a part of our lives, almost on cue, almost as if they had a schedule, the CDC announces a new COVID-19 variant. And of course, we've got to scare people about, oh, you could could be infected even if you got a vaccine, which basically shows me that these quote-unquote vaccines are garbage. Maybe not useless, but they certainly uh, don't do a very good job of protecting people. The, the, the CDC said there's a new variant. They, they, they stopped with names. This is BA286. Don't you just love those? Now, they said it's too soon to know whether this might cause us more severe illness. Oh, so in other words, even though we have no scientific data that says this will be more dangerous than any of the others, because understand, according to virologists that I've heard, viruses naturally get more contagious and less lethal. That is the normal progression of almost every virus. 
they get more they, they get they're easier to transmit but they become less deadly because well if they killed their hosts they wouldn't be able to spread so again they don't know if this is a more severe illness or if it's basically an overgrown cold but we've got to get people scared right because we've, we've you know they said due to the high number of mutations detected in this lineage their concerns about the impact of the, uh, on immunity from vaccines and previous infections. Well, again, the immunity becomes, this issue is dependent on the severity, the lethality, the mortality of the vaccine. And we've started with a vaccine that has very low mortality. Uh, we've seen it through several generations of mutations, which routinely means it becomes less lethal but again, we've got these mutations. We're scaring people. This is this is a scare tactic. Unless and until the CDC actually comes up with data that says, hmm, is this more dangerous? Is there evidence that it's more lethal? Um, all they're doing is trying to scare the pants off of everybody. But and, and it's all based, it's not based on any examples of lethality or actually proof of transmissibility. They're simply saying we're seeing changes. It's mutating, and those mutations seem to have a, a, there's a lot of impact. There's a lot of stuff changing. Is that for the good or for ill? I mean, that's, that we don't, they don't care because this is not about public health. It's not about keeping the public informed. It's about scaring the pants off of people so that when Pfizer and Moderna and Johnson & Johnson comes out with their new vaccines, they say, we'll treat this BA-286. Well, they've got an excuse to sell people down the river again. Now, listen, if if uh, if virologists who had uh, uh, a, a track record of not hysterical, of actually following science instead of uh, instead of simply pushing vaccines were to say somebody like a gear banded Bosch were to say, Yes, we're seeing a lot of mutations, and these mutations look dangerous. Maybe I'd give a consideration. But you know what? The CDC has lied to us so many times. They have cried wolf so many times. I don't believe them. There's a reason why the Constitution never authorized a CDC. This is never supposed to be a national function. Public health, never supposed to be an issue of national concern. Therefore, that's why they never had the power. And what do we see? We see these, these bureaucrats just trying to scare you into, into submitting. Now, I have a couple other things I want to bring out because they're not so much about the, the rule by fear, but the, the fact that when you don't know, when you don't understand, you can be fooled into believing things. Now, with all the discussion and craziness going around involving the Trump indictments, I found this article. Uh, the author is Paul Ingracia. He's from the American Mind. And uh, if I read this correctly, he claims that the Jack Smith indictments against President Trump uh, are, effect are double jeopardy because they've already been heard by Congress. Uh, the, the name of the article is, you know, Jack Smith's indictment of Donald Trump are unconstitutional because he's already been tried in the Senate. And there's a problem with that. There's a fundamental issue with that. But let me read a little bit from, uh, from the article. It says, in any event, and for the purposes of what is relevant in Jack Smith's two indictments, 
the factual grounds on which President Trump allegedly committed crimes within his official duties as president have already been twice considered by the House of Representatives, for which the president, in, con in conformance with Article 2, Section 4, was acquitted both times by the Senate. Uh, you know, this is one of those things where just a little bit of knowledge is so dangerous. First of all, what was tried in the Senate was not a crime, it was an impeachment. Now, he could be impeached for um, a high crime, that's pot, but even then it wouldn't matter. See, if you go, you know, he looked at Article 2, Section 4, where it says that, uh, uh, was it, uh, the president, vice president, and all civil officers of the United States shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes or misdemeanors. He conveniently says, well, he says they've been tried by the Senate. He ignores Article 1, Section 3, Clause, I think it's 6 or 7, where it says, Judgment in cases of impeachment shall not, shall not extend further than to removal from office and disqualification to holder and enjoy any office of honor, trust, or profit under the United States. Now let's pause there just a second. So the only punishment for an impeachment is removal from office and disqualification from holding office in the federal government. Why is that important? Because of this claim of double jeopardy, uh, the to to not be tried twice from from the uh, from the Fifth Amendment, uh, a person uh, uh, nor shall any person be subject for the same offense to be twice be put in jeopardy of life or limb. Okay, losing your job is not being put in jeopardy of life or limb. Nothing in the impeachment of a president involves jail time, any sort of imprisonment, any sort of fine, any sort of punishment other than removal from office and disqualification from holding office in the future. This is seen by, again, going back to Article 1, Section 3. The rest of Clause, again, I think it's like Clause 7, says, uh, but the party convicted shall nevertheless be liable and subject to indictment, trial, judgment, and punishment according to the law. So for everybody out there who said, oh, see, this is double jeopardy, it is not double jeopardy. It is not a violation of the Fifth Amendment because it, because it is not, he, you know, the president's not being twice put in jeopardy of life or limb for the same offense. He never was put in jeopardy of life or limb when, the, when he was, his impeachment was tried. And because the impeachment clause, the judgment clause in Article 1, Section 3 specifically says that regardless of, if, of even if you're convicted, you can still, of an impeachment, you can still be indicted, tried, and found guilty according to the law. So hopefully anybody that came up with that question, um, hopefully that answers that question and, and uh, puts that little piece to bed. Now, I had a question come to me. A uh, person emailed me a question, and I thought maybe I'd take a little time to answer it here today. Uh, says, uh, here's a question to ask. So we know, uh, so we know representation in the House for the federal government is supposed to be based on every 30,000 people in a state, as is stated in Article 1, Section 2. However, Congress passed a void law around 1920 that reduced the size of Congressional House representation to 435 members. Since the law is void and the House hasn't been full of, of the correct number number of House representatives, wouldn't this mean that every bill that is made in the House and then passed into law void? All right, so there's two parts to this question that I want to deal with. Part number one, the assertion. 
uh, Congress did not pass a void law in 1920 to uh, reduce the size of the House. Well, uh, yeah, the, well, here's what happened. Every 10 years, we have a census. We have an enumeration. And Congress is, is required to reapportion representation in the House based on the um, uh, on the new census, the new populations in each state. And this this questioner is correct. You're, the Congress is not supposed to have a member of the rep House that represents more than 30,000 people. They tried to up it to 50,000, but they never went anywhere. So here's what happened. It was 1910. After the 1910 census, Congress reapportioned the House, said, uh, okay, we need 433 members but we will allow an extra member for uh, two new states that uh, were planning to enter the Union. And I forget what those states are off the top of my head. So the total number would be 35 once these two states actually joined the Union. Here's the problem. 1920 comes around. There's a new census. Congress becomes gridlocked. They, they, they cannot negotiate a new apportionment. So they basically say, we're going to leave the 1910 apportionment in place in perpetuity. That act was void. The Congress had no authority to change the rate of representation as established by the Constitution. So I want to be specific in the way that was done. It wasn't that Congress simply came out and said, we're going to set the number at 435. No, they couldn't make up their mind and they thought they could get away. Well, they actually got away with saying, well, we'll just leave it the way it was last time and we won't touch it again. Um, that was the unconstitutional act. Now, that brings up an interesting question. Since the House of Representatives has not been properly formed since 1920, does that mean that all the legislation they've passed is void? I'll take it a step farther. Does that mean that every dollar collected based on those, every dollar spent, every dollar apportioned by the Congress since then is fraud? Not simply void, the law is void, the action is fraud. That to me is a very interesting question. Now, I don't know that I've got a really good answer for you uh, one that is both legal and practical, right? Uh, from a, a legal standpoint, I would I would tend to agree that guess what? If the House was never properly formed, then or because there were insufficient members, then you'd really have to go through and see if the number of members they were supposed to have, if they could get a quorum, meaning at least half of the numbers they were supposed to have, actually there to vote. That means maybe not from 1920, but maybe 1940s, 50 maybe, when they should have, when the number, uh, when 435 became fewer than half of the number of representatives they should have, there's a, a fundamental breakdown. Now, the question is, are we ever going to go back and fix those problems? I seriously doubt it. The question is, can we educate enough people to realize we have a problem here and then see about getting it fixed? Hiring people that will actually say, you know what? The Constitution said we're supposed to do this. How about we get off of our thumbs and actually do it? So, again, uh, th th that was a very good question. I, I like the way it was asked. There was a lot of data behind it. If you have your qu own questions, please go to the website, constitutionstudy.com. Click the Ask a Question button. 
fill out that form, hit the checkbox. It says you'd like me to answer it on America Out Loud Talk Radio, and I would be happy to. While you're at it, I hope you come back and visit us. Listen to us, the Catholic Constitution Study, every weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time on America Out Loud Talk Radio, heard on the iHeartRadio Network. If you cannot listen then, that's okay. All these shows go to podcasts, generally a day or two after they're heard on the radio. You can listen in your favorite podcast app, but I ask you, please, subscribe to the show. Leave me a rating and review, especially on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the Constitution Study as well. And that's really what we want. We want more people listening and exposed to these ideas, exposed to the actual language of the Constitution. You can find all the links that you need at the homepage. Just go to americaoutloud.news. But as usual, take those links, take this information, share it, spread the wealth, spread the news, spread the good word, spread the idea of freedom, and share the blessings of liberty. <laughs>